Revelation chapter 5. I was considering the last time that I had the privilege to address the church this way uh, without counting Easter, not to say that Easter doesn't count. I obviously understand Easter counts, but I'm saying in this way, uh, it would have been, is that really loud or is it just me? Um, it would have been the Sunday that David Brimer was here, which would have been the last Sunday of October. And I was thinking a little more than eight months have gone by since the last time that I've had the privilege to address us in this manner. Uh, and that would have been when I shared that God is humble and invited us to look afresh on the face of Jesus and to gaze at the humility of the Lord and to receive an invitation by what we are privileged to behold to find him in his lowliness and to become like him through brokenness. Little did I know how that would shape and form my own life. <laughs> Uh, but, but I think that that's part of why I'm sharing what I'm sharing is it's not just a good word, right? It's a word that is going to form our lives as we have given ourselves to the Lord and one another and what he is building by his own desire in the midst of us, all right? So it's not like, oh, well, that's, that's going to be for somebody else because I don't really like the way that sounds, or, um, you know, I'm a part of 13 different online campuses, so, you know, I'm just going to kind of sift through what some of the other voices that I tend to flock to are saying, and whichever one of those I prefer in the midst or in the collection of voices, I'm just going to grab that one for me, and because that's the one that I, you know, would want to see the consequence of, I'm just going to say that that's the word that I want. It's actually not how it works. Right? And it's not cultish, it's called biblical. That our lives would be planted in a family. That we would be a part of a kingdom community, covenant lovers of Jesus and one another, and that the conversation of the Lord would be stirred up in the midst of us, and his desires and his leadership by his spirit, which is made known to us in a variety of ways, would actually be able to legislate our lives as we are giving our lives to him. Where my life is not my own, I belong to Jesus now. And by belonging to Jesus, whatever his voice says should be what goes. Right? And so it's not just like, oh, well, that's a good word. Um, those of us who were in the room when Alan Hood came weeks ago, and he released a word among us on the cry of the destitute. There was an initial excitement, but over the course of the evening, considering the implications and the consequences of such a word actually being performed in the midst of us, there was a fear and trembling that came over some of our hearts as we thought to ourselves, oh man, Lord, this is what you brought somebody to say. And either we're just going to completely dismiss it and be like, well, you don't hear from God at all. Um, because that's what you have to do at a certain point. You can't only receive the things you want to hear and be like, well, the rest of it is trash because I don't like that. So I just believe when you're saying something I don't like that you're not hearing. 
um, and when you're saying something that I believe is beneficial for me, then, oh, you're, you're hearing from the Lord clearly or accurately. It's not how it works, right? And so in the midst of that, considering how that word moving forward uh, would really take deep root in my own heart, um, there have been things I believe the Lord has been sharing with me now over weeks that I, I have a jealousy on the inside to see the consequences of such a word actually begin to manifest itself in the midst of us. Where our lives would come under the governor of the word of the Lord. And where whatever it is that Jesus is saying, right, he is the word. Right, we know that by John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that word came and tabernacled in the midst of us. That word came and put flesh on. That word came by way of incarnation. That word got into a human vehicle. Right? So we long to see the embodiment of the word by way of Jesus having his way in our lives, by being able to say whatever he wants to say, and then us giving ourselves to what we know he's saying. There should be a supreme value and a supreme jealousy for the word of the Lord and for whatever resistance in our hearts may be present for us to give ourselves to the Lord and the place of his presence for him to be able to have time with us to touch us in whatever way necessary for resistance to be conquered so that we can give ourselves in a willful and joyful way to what it is that we know he ultimately wants from us where he would have a people by way of a people being willing to give themselves to him and what he's saying, no matter the cost or the consequence. All right? And this is what we find in Revelation 5. And we're going to read some of these verses together because we're going to take what's, what's ultimate and then we're going to bring it down in a simple, practical way and hopefully make it land on each one of our doorsteps uh, to where we can take it home with us. But in Revelation 5... Uh, let's read beginning with verse 8. It says, I'll read it in the New King James. Now when he had taken the scroll, this is speaking of the Lamb, the man Jesus. John is in this heavenly throne room vision. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. It's important to understand, as we've shared in a variety of ways, that they are singing this song to the Lamb who is worthy because he has done the unimaginable and what was previously perceived to be utterly impossible. He has taken a broken, insecure, weak, hostile, and rebellious, sin-satisfied creation and actually through laying down his own life, the resurrection and the ascension, the release of his spirit into creation, transformed people 
from their original condition to now conform them to his image where they are now comparable to him. This is beyond amazing. It is beyond absurd. It is impossible. But Jesus has done it. And he has paved a way for creation to be conformed to his image. For the father to actually be able to fulfill the promise that he made to the son that he loves and honors by giving him everything that belongs to him. Right? This is the heart cry of fathers. I love you and I honor you and everything that is mine is yours. Everything that is mine is yours. And on that day when the father honors the son before the universe as the rightful ruler of all things, he will hand over to the son a kingdom that will be unending. And we understand that it's the heart cry of sons. They delight to do the will of their father. And Jesus has made a way for a people to actually be conformed to his image. And our hearts long for the son to have an inheritance out of our city. For a people that look like him. Right? This was Paul's jealousy in Colossians 1. He said, we preach, we teach, we admonish men. But I carry a jealousy to present a people at the end of the age mature. That actually look like him. And he says, I work striving according to the power that is at work on the inside of me that moves me, animates me, gives me what I need to give myself to God's agenda, which is the call that I know is on my life. I want to bring a people to the Lord at the end of the age that look like him. And we want Jesus to have a people that look like him. And I think if we're not careful, we begin to, in our own estimation, come up with creative ideas as to what this actually means. Right? We want to we see the fulfillment of a people that are conformed to the image of Jesus. And this isn't just by way of the adoption of a new language or the purchasing of Christian merch. But deeply conformed to the image of Jesus. And so what my goal is going to be is to share two things that I believe the Lord longs to see happen in the midst of us. The Lord is longing to have a people conform to the image of his son. And the two things that I'm going to share on is going to be by way of authenticity and subjectivity. Authenticity and subjectivity. Authenticity and subjectivity, I believe, are two things that are necessary ingredients if we are actually going to have a people that are conformed to the image of Jesus. Because when we talk about being conformed to his image, we have to go beyond the point of just saying that we love him. Now, saying that we love him may be a part of it, but it's not all of it. Because there are ways that we can gauge the love that we actually say that we have for him. And this is not my own opinion. This is actually straight Bible. Jesus said one of the ways that we can tell if we actually love him is whether or not we're actually obeying him. So obedience can become one of the barometers of whether or not we actually love him as much as we think we do. We can test what comes off our lips by the way that our life is actually conforming to the desires that he has revealed to us. This is what he says in John 14, 15. I will know those that actually love me by evaluating their lives and seeing if they're actually obeying me. 
So a people that are conformed to his image has to go beyond the simple imagery of just convincing ourselves by adopting a language that says we love him constantly. Because you can say that you love him and still be incredibly worldly. You can say that you love him and still wrestle for your own way in every intersection where his desires are trying to conquer your love for other things. You can say that you love him and at any point where the choice is necessary of you and what you want and the establishment of your own way, your own dreams, your own desires, all of your thoughts feelings, ambitions, etc. at any place where that creates an intersection with what it is that he's revealing as his own desire, the choice of yourself. Right? So we can say whatever we want to say and what we say is important because we do want to communicate that we have a love for him, but the love that we say we have must be found through the example or the demonstration of the life that we live. It must. And this is part of the challenge of Jesus being the Word. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And that Word came and tabernacled among us. You can't love Jesus and dodge the Word. You can't love Jesus and create all of your own creative ways to massage scriptures and take them out of context and make them more beneficial or more applicable to the life that we want to live, we see this running rampant in our culture in this hour of history. Where people are doing all kinds of crazy things, supposedly in the name of Jesus, and they're taking scriptures with their own intent on not actually being conformed to his image, but with a longing to make him more like them so that he would sign off or endorse or authorize the life that they want to live without the consideration of being transformed by the desires that he has, which are revealed and communicated through the word that we have. And we see people dodging the Bible in order to say that they love him, yet love him their own way. And it's actually problematic when we consider that Jesus is the word. Because this word has to govern the reality of our lives. And if God is going to have a people that he is preparing for his son, then he's going to have a people whose lives are being transformed by the continual confrontation that they find in this word. Where this word becomes the plumb line. Where this word becomes the standard. Where this word becomes the governor. Where this word becomes the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path where this word becomes what's ultimate and no longer just what's subject. Where the word is a conviction and it's not just a convenience. Where the word is something where no matter how much it challenges us, we plant the word in the midst of us and we have a desire for the word of the Lord to dwell richly among us by way of our life's demonstration and our life's navigation being harnessed by the desires of Jesus revealed through this word. Where we don't just have all of these prophetic words and then we buck the written word. 
where we don't just have these dreams and these words from a variety of prophetic voices that don't actually find consistency with what's being communicated or revealed through the word that is already what we have in the midst of us. And we take this word and we make it ultimate over our lives. And I believe that the challenge that we find in our day is that we're looking for things that are more complex and more sexy because the word becomes too simple. It becomes too fundamental. It becomes too basic. Well, yeah, 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 but I want to get on to other things. Yeah, 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 I want to move on to the things that are more impressive. I want to move on to the things that wow crowds and create an applause or an appreciation. And if we're not careful, then we get into all the games and the gimmicks and we know how to flow in power and use gifts. But when there's a thorough examination as to the substance of our lives, we find those that can flow in gifts, flow in power, read addresses, birthdays and interpret dreams. But when you evaluate their lives, you don't find the substance of the scriptures on display or in real time as a demonstration. Where you can say, what I read in here, I also see visible in the way that you live. And there's a disconnect. And for many, it creates conflict. Because we're familiar with how people flow in events. We're familiar with how people demonstrate the realities of giftedness or power or spirit realities that are poured out in meetings and things of this nature. But then when we get behind closed doors, or even worse, when we go home with somebody, we realize that what Paul's charge is in 1 Timothy 3, that a man must know how to conduct the affairs of his own house well before he can be considered for real kingdom influence. That a man has to be able to manage his own life and his own house. That a man has to be able to actually have an evaluation of what's happening at home before there's a consideration for what's happening in meetings. But because there's so much energy with different spaces and places and what all of that is able to develop according to Christian influence, if we're not careful, we find ourselves bypassing scriptural prescriptions in order to satisfy cultural applauses or longings or benefits. And again, this may seem super basic, but it's time that we get back to being diligent students and stewards of the word. And we can let the plumb line of the scriptures actually have its way in the midst of us. And we stop trying to tiptoe and compromise and cater to all of these other cultural objectives. And we actually, like Psalm 45, 7, begin to love what he loves and hate what he hates. Because it's those that he promises to pour out glory and oil on. There's a glorious oily company in Psalm 45, 7 that love what he loves and hates what he hates. This is more than lip service. It's more than lip service. And I believe that there's an invitation in this hour to us as a people to come beyond the boundaries of lip service. To come beyond the boundaries of a particular type of devotional life that only satisfies my self-consumed interests. And I'm not just trying to be tough and I'm not just trying to be difficult. But what I am trying to do is allow he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And for our hearts to become free 
from all of the other attachments that create unique resistance to God having the leadership of his son in our lives that he desires to have. Where we quit creating all of these unique spaces and exemptions for us because of the conversation that we perfected or become proficient in over time. Because the biblical prescription starts here. What's happening in your heart and at home is actually what's happening. And it doesn't matter where else you're able to make things happen. That's what's real. And that's the place where we're going to begin the evaluation. He says, if a man can't manage his own house, 1 Timothy 3, 5, that means what's happening at home must be the primary consideration for kingdom influence. You don't start with meetings. You start with your house. You don't start with how well someone prays in public. You start with how they treat their wife and kids at home. You don't start with how successful their business is or how accurately they can interpret or teach the scriptures in a public forum. You don't start with how they can come out with some prophetic whirlwind or swirl or call someone out in the 14th row of a meeting. You start with how they manage their house. And that's the beginning place of evaluation for whether or not someone's life is actually credible enough to get kingdom influence. And don't get wrapped up in the words overseer and deacon in 1 Timothy chapter 3 to create yet once again a unique exemption from the consideration of your own life. Because Paul mentions these things as a way to tell everyone these are goals that every believer should be aspiring towards. These are kingdom realities that are actually real in us by the Spirit as we live as a transformed people. Because guess what? We are a family of transformed people. We are a family of new creature or, or new creatures, new creation. We are not just worldly folks who are religious, but we just try to tiptoe the line to be able to get everything that we want out of our worldly desires and still try to love Jesus well enough to make it into heaven. We're a family of transformed people. And that means that there's an accountability on our lives to actually live responsibly to our measure of transformation because the spirit is in us with a desire to transform us power has been released into each one of our hearts with an agenda power according to God's spirit has not just come to us so that we can supplement it into all of the conversation of our lives where we want God to bless us but power has come with an objective. It has a desire. It has a fiery jealousy, and its agenda is going to prevail. For if any man is in Christ, that man is a new creature. And now we are a family of transformed people. And as we live our lives out of being transformed, we interpret everything about us out of God's story that he has brought us into and the power that he has actually unveiled and unleashed on creation, sons and daughters, in order to perfect in each one of our lives his desires. Because God has released power to actually do in us what it is that he has promised to us, which is in perfect alignment with what he's promised to his son. And we have a responsibility to live and to interpret everything about us out of this spirit transformation.
That's how we interpret our lives now. God has sucked us up into his story, and he's given us power in order to live this life the way that he desires. That's how we see ourselves, which is why old things have passed and all things have become new. We're not the same. And so we don't have the excuse to hold on to old things that are still beneficial in this new season of the way that I'm supposed to be interpreting my life. God has done the impossible. He has conquered the hostile rebel on the inside of me, and I'm no longer a prisoner to my old way of living and thinking, but praise God, I am a new creature. He has set me free and given me power to now live in alignment with what it is that he desires. This is our reality. And that, over time, must be tested, is what Paul says. Especially in the consideration of influence amongst God's people. Which is what 1 Timothy 3 is all about. Anyone who desires to carry real influence on their lives in the midst of a family, which is why he uses house terminology, because we're not a church event. And when we say family and we talk about house church and life on life, we're definitely not just the barbecue and babysitters club either. We need a much more grand vision of what the Lord has actually invited us into. And we need it blown up bigger than just casual living room occasions. Actually, what the Lord has invited us into is way more problematic to us than I think we realize. Because it's problematic because God is desiring to possess a people for his son. And when we talk about living with a sense of divine possession, we talk about living with a sense of my heart being on fire for Jesus and my life being bright and my life being illuminated by God's presence and God's glory and him getting access to my guts, meaning on a default fundamental level, who I actually am, God being able to get in my business and actually rearranging everything that I thought I wanted because now I can't interpret my life in the ways that I used to. I now have to understand the reality of who I am and what I'm about by his story and the power that he's actually released into my life to transform me and align me. That is way more problematic than I think some of us understand because it's just not cute and contemporary and it's just not going to satisfy all the cultural fads and norms and all of the different layers and measures of compromise at times that even Christianity especially in America presents to us where I can just do my own thing and live the American dream, and Jesus is supposed to bless me, because at least that's what Jeremiah 29, 11 says, right? Where we're proficient with memes and bumper stickers, but when we begin to talk about the leadership of Jesus, we've got all of these unique exemptions to buck him being Lord in our life. Because we become perfectionists, at massaging certain scriptures out to our desires. But let me just submit this to you as a suggestion. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit is ultimately working in your life, in every season, at all times. Greater surrender to the leadership of Jesus. 
And if that is not what's ultimate, if that's not what's sourcing every other conversation in my life, then I would suggest that you need to go back to the drawing board. Because words that you may have felt are from the Lord may be things that you've convinced yourself to be of your own desires and you've put a demand that God actually do them in order for you to love him the way that you know he wants you to. But the Lord is faithful. And he is going to be faithful to the promise that he made Jesus. God is going to give Jesus a people that look like him. He's going to give his son a people that are comparable to him. And when I say comparable, I mean actually our lives being conformed to his image through the actual substance in real-time demonstration of how we live. That is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about going hard in a worship service and then doing my own thing Monday through Saturday. I'm not talking about waving banners and dancing, although that's amazing, and I pray God would raise up some of us to do that in here. Mike has been voted in (laughs) to lead the praise team. No, John is not allowed. Whereas Micah would run from the election, John is going to run to the election, and that's why he can't be considered. (laughs) But in the consideration of the leadership of Jesus in our lives, I want us to look at two things, authenticity and subjectivity. Again, in the frame of God preparing a people for his son that actually have been conformed to his image. When I say authenticity, what I mean by that is your life being governed and you always responding to the animation of your life being fueled by what it is that God is doing in you. It's your life living in response to the work of God's spirit on the inside freeing you to consistently be your authentic self. It's challenging to look at Jesus and to say that he's our pattern. I get that. We we all would have a variety of ways that it's immediately challenging that we think of, but obviously I'm thinking of certain things that would create an emphasis or a point for the things that I'm sharing. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living and active. It's powerful. It's sharp, actually sharper than any double-edged sword. It says it cuts and divides, it sifts and it separates. Bone and marrow, it judges the intents between what soul and what spirit. So we understand, and then as you continue in those verses, you get down to the man Jesus, who is the pattern, who is the word. Which is why we are jealous to be students of the word if we want to grow up into the image of Jesus. Because you will not look like him without us being able to look at your life and see the evidence of the word. As that word becomes a harness over your life, he releases the desire of the word so that when the word begins to work in you, it begins to grow you up into the image of the one who is the word. Without submitting or surrendering to the word, you have no shot to look like Jesus. Let's say it that way. 
You can be as fiery as you want to be. You can be as demonstrative, as expressive. You can be as gifted as you want to be. Without your life becoming subject to the word, you have no shot at actually being conformed to his image. Being gifted is not enough. Flowing in power is not enough. We know that from Matthew 7. There's going to be those who prophesied, casted out devils, and raised the dead. But he's going to say, I never knew you. There wasn't an intimate place of subjection. You don't look like me, is what he's saying. (laughs) You can do all of these other things. But without surrendering to the word and actually growing up in the image of the word through a consistent surrender to the word, we have no shot at actually looking like him. And so when we look at him, we see the word in motion. And that's what we need to understand is Jesus' life and the example, the embodiment of what he displayed was the consistency of the word. He lived the Bible at all times would be a more simple way to say it. You're never going to find an action or an intention from Jesus that compromises what the scriptures communicate to us. And that is incredibly challenging. And if he is the one that is the pattern to which God is conforming all of our lives to, then we must consider what the scriptures are actually saying. And later in Hebrews 4, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. Tempted in every way, yet was without sin. And I think we we automatically have certain ideas as to what this means. But I would like to submit to you that there is one thing that it absolutely means in the midst of a host of other things that I am also sure it means as well. Jesus never lived in response to what happened to him. He always lived as a response to what his father was doing in him and desired from him. And this is very difficult when you begin to wrestle it into our day-to-day life. Because it's super easy to convince people why it's right or wisdom for us to create attitudes, to create perspectives, to create profiles, platforms, and distance at times based off of what we would say is wisdom. But in reality, we are living in a greater way in response or as a response to things that have happened to us rather than as a continual response of what God is doing in us. And most of us know very well what I'm talking about. We have all of these reasons why we are the way that we are. We have all of these reasons why we do the things that we do. We have all of these conversations and and different things as to why, well, you don't know what happened to me. And the reason that I don't get involved that way is because this place or that person, and you don't understand why I don't give myself to people this way because this happened to me and that happened to me. And you just don't understand the conversation over the timeline of my life that has actually formed me to the point where now what you get from me is actually a response. I'm living out of things that have happened to me rather than living out of what it is that God is doing in me. Jesus was tempted in every possible way, yet was without sin. He never did anything out of unforgiveness. He never did anything out of being bitter with somebody. 
He never did anything trying to prove a point out of insecurity. He never did anything out of dealing with shame or guilt and being moved or motivated by an unhealthy emotion that was driving him to demonstrate something out of his life. No, no, no. He said, I do those things that I hear the Father saying. That's, what I, that's, that's my conversation. And I constantly do those things that I see the Father doing. There was a unique understanding that he was authentic at all times, meaning there was nothing in him driving him to do something, say something, be something that would compromise the spirit that God had poured out without measure. He was consistently living as who it was that his father had asked him to be. And there were no unique conversations that he created in order to bypass his father's desires because in a moment it made enough sense. Because we become great at rallying agreement. But let me just tell you, it doesn't matter how many people agree with the mindset or the perspective that we create. If it compromises what God is doing in you, then it's compromise. And it doesn't matter how many people you can rally around to be like, oh, bro, I understand. I would do that too. Like, oh, yeah, bro, like, praise God. If I, if I went through those things, then, yeah, I would probably treat people that way also. Or like, oh, you don't understand, man. Like, it's cool. Like, like we get you, bro. Like, it's all right, man. Like, like we'll give you a pass. No, we get no pass when it comes to the plumb line of the word. We get no pass when it comes to the reality of God's spirit that's alive on the inside of us. And I'm not trying to make it just super simple as if, uh, well, I actually am trying to make it super simple in some ways. I believe that divine life has enough power to conquer everything about the self-life that, that we protect and preserve. Everything about self-life that at times we want to cater to, I believe divine life has enough power to overcome those things. Where God can do something in you that is powerful enough to free you from all of the excuses and all of the unique conversations that you perfected over time in order to be something that he's not asking you to be. Because he's not asking you to live out of offense. He's not asking you to live out of fear. He's not empowering you to live out of insecurity. These are not things that the Spirit is empowering. These are things that we have to fuel by our own initiative, by our own choosing. We have to choose to set our life up here and choose to consistently operate or to interact with other folks and life circumstance from this place. And this is not something that the Spirit is endorsing. The Spirit is endorsing real transformation. And I get it. It is, in some ways, completely and utterly unfathomable to us that we could live free from all of these types of entanglements that have been wrestled into our life to give us the makeup and the language that we have perfected over time. I do get it. At some points, it seems utterly impossible, right? How would I actually interact with people and love them if I've never been betrayed? <laughs> If I had never been accused, if I had never been walked away from, if I had never been shamed, if I had never been hurt, who would I be? How would I be? This is the example that we see in the person of Jesus. As they're nailing him to a stick, 
He's weeping over enemies and interceding over executioners. You can't do this if you want to justify your bitterness. You can't do this if you want to justify your unforgiveness. You can't do this if you want to create a profile for yourself out of your past and your pain. And you want to use that as a unique exemption in order to not give yourself fully in a moment because you're creating excuses in an immediate way out of things that have formed you in a historical way. Well, no, you don't get the authentic me because I've got a conversation that comes along with me as to why I can't give you who I really am. You don't know what's happened to me. I don't have to know what's happened to you if you claim that God is alive on the inside of you. Because this is what I do know, is that divine life should be powerful enough in order to conquer those objectives that we create. Divine life should be real enough. The work of the Spirit on the inside should be real enough to bring us to raw places of evaluation where we understand at times the deception that we've fallen into. And when I say deception, I mean being deceived out of living an authentic life. Where we're not actually authentic. And in some measures we know it and in some measures we don't know it. Because until you see it, you can't see it. But once you see it, you don't unsee it. And then we live with acknowledgement or we live with knowledge. But Jesus was tempted in every way. Tempted to live from these other sources of motivation. Tempted to be something as a response to things that were happening to him. And he refused it in every point and in every place. I refuse for there to be another motivator on the inside of me. I refuse for there to be another life that fuels what it is that I am going to do and be. I won't do it. I'm going to look into the face of my father. And I'm going to constantly wrestle in the place of prayer. For the spirit to touch me and free me to where I can continue to give myself authentically. And that has to be tested in real time, and there is no greater way for it to be tested until you're being nailed to a tree. <laughs> it is the greatest place where it can be tested. And in that place, he weeps over enemies and intercedes over executioners. Are we weeping over those that have offended us and wronged us? Are we interceding for those who over the timeline of our life have come our way trying to assassinate us and bury us? Probably not. I can tell you that because I'm not doing it for everybody in my own life. And I need help. But I want this to be real because I want God to have what it is that he wants. An authentic people who are a sign and a wonder. Man, a sign and a wonder. What would it look like if God got a people in our city that refused to live in offense? What would it look like if God got a people in our city that refused unforgiveness, refused bitterness, betrayal, all of these unique conversations that at times we spiritually justify? Hey, bro, listen, you got to be able to find a Judas in your life. You got to be able to get him early, bro, so that you can get rid of him. Because if you don't get rid of that dude, bro, I'm telling you, he's going to get you after a while. If you don't find him, I'm telling you, you got to get him before he gets you. It's dog eat dog around here, and you got to get him, bro. Because after a while, Judas is going to get you. And we spiritually justify all of these things that we can't actually 
reconcile with the scriptures. We spiritually justify all of these different ideas that we can't reconcile with the man Jesus and the pattern that he laid down as a real life in the midst of us. And what would it look like for God to have a people that chose to refuse the source of a sin-saturated self-life and chose to constantly give themselves in response to the fueling of divine life, where we didn't only allow him a place to transform the things that we thought were beneficial, but we actually gave him access to the entirety of our lives for him to transform even the hard things that we would rather hold on to because we use them in unique ways to benefit the way that we want to live. Jesus lived authentically at all times. Um, Though you mock me, I will eat with you and wash your feet. Though you sell me out and betray me, I will bless you and proclaim the kingdom to you and live among you and walk with you. But I get it. This is super difficult. In some ways, depending on if we're viewing it from a perspective of wanting to hold on to things. Oh, it's going to be really hard then because you're not going to be able to look on the face of Jesus and look on the things that we are wanting to hold on to and make them make sense. But to let the Lord really get into our hearts and heal us and purge us To let the Lord really get into the timeline of our life and free us, not by way of excusing things that have happened, right? That's that's one of the things that we need to get over in the place of us thinking we can't live a whole life because it means that I'm going to excuse things that have happened to me. We're not excusing anything that has happened to us. What we're doing is not excusing, we are refusing to live from a source that wants to constantly and creatively make me a prisoner to a life that is not the authentic me. Because the authentic me is the one that lives in response to the divine life that is at work on the inside of me. That's the real me. That's the real me now. That's the real me now because of what God has done and because of what he has done in order to invite me into what he's doing. He has shared his life with me. It has transformed me. And because of that, I interpret my life now out of that conversation and not the conversations that I'm still holding on to that are going to make me something other than what that power that's in me is trying to actually make me. Because that power is trying to make me something wildly and dynamically different than these other conversations I'm holding on to are consistently trying to make me. And there is an intersection where we must at times uniquely evaluate. And then we choose. Well, I'm just going to choose. I'm going to go this way. 
Because I'm unwilling to pay that price. I'm unwilling to pay that cost. I'm unwilling to actually look into the face of Jesus and to say, I hate this. It's more difficult than I even know how to communicate. But if you would touch me and set me free, I want to live as authentic as you desire for me to be. That's who I want to be. Because those who live authentically are those that are actually free. Because you're not actually free if you're a prisoner to a particular conversation over the timeline of your life. Because you've become a captive to a conversation and that conversation moves you more than divine life on the inside of you actually does. Because the response of divine life is to transform you. The response of divine life is to heal you and to make you whole. Where you're not catering to offenses and brokenness and always creating this victim profile. Where you have the right to do this and you have the right to be this. And you have the right to live inauthentically because you just don't understand the things that have happened to me. No, I do understand what has happened to you. Because if you claim to be born again, that I understand that God has put his life on the inside of you. And so I do understand that there is something that has happened to you that is supposed to conquer all of those other conversations that you hold on to that you say has happened to you. And the Lord is longing for an authentic people. A people that look like Jesus by way of actually living like him. And living authentically is going to be impossible unless we constantly are confronted by this man Jesus in our diligence of the scriptures. Because when we come to the word, we begin to realize that some of the ways at times we justify our thinking and living doesn't actually reconcile well with what it is that he has revealed right here. And it's why we have to become students of the word and not just students of other people's opinions. Well, so-and-so says, I don't give a rip what so-and-so says. What I care about is what the Bible says. And so long as so-and-so is accurately dividing the word of truth, then so-and-so's perspective or slant or commentary can be trusted. Accurately dividing the word of truth. Not just approaching it and massaging it to endorse whatever way of thinking and living we may be after. It's conquering all of the self to find the man Jesus once again and his life and power through our surrendering to his desires communicated in this word right here. And we have to come to the Bible to understand how to live our lives. So from authenticity, we find subjectivity. And by subjectivity, I mean exactly that. My life becoming subject to the scriptures, come hell or high water. Period. Period. The Bible becomes my ultimate source to know how to navigate all of the complexities that life may bring to me. For me to know how to handle a situation, I'm going to the scriptures. And whatever the scripture says, I'm allowing the harness of the word of God to come on my life and by the power of God's grace, I am asking him to touch me and to transform me to the place where I can actually live what it is that the Bible is suggesting to me is the best way for me to move forward in my life. Because there is only one way to actually move forward and that's by subjecting your life to what the scripture says. You can make a lot of moves. 
But the only way to move forward is by becoming subject to what the scriptures say. In every scenario, love your enemies is what the scripture says. Well, I would rather write them off. I would rather scandalize them and criminalize them on social media. I would rather hop in the comment section of every post possible and let them know what I really think. Well, that's not what the scripture says. And the scriptures suggest to us a wildly different way to live our lives. Well, what am I supposed to do with money? That means I'm not searching Forbes magazine or Silicon Valley. That means I'm not looking at the material wealth system of the age. That means I'm looking at the face of Jesus and I'm bringing my life under the harness of the word of God. And that means I'm going to do what the Bible says regardless of whether or not the world mocks and the world laughs. That means I'm going to do what the scripture says no matter the inconvenience. I'm going to do what the scripture says no matter if it doesn't seem advantageous. I'm going to do what the scripture says even if it doesn't seem to be beneficial to all of the other things that I've got going on and all of the other pans that I've got in the fire at the time. I'm actually going to live the Bible. And I'm going to do it by God's grace and power. And I'm going to let the scriptures actually get a hold of my life and mold me and make me and direct me and help me to navigate all of what life is seeming to hand to me. And I am going to do it. I'm not just going to say I love the Bible. Well, I love the Bible. No, we love the Bible. And because we love the Bible, we live the Bible. You don't get to say, oh, I love the Bible and then dodge the Bible in real life. No, I love the Bible, and that's best demonstrated by living the Bible. Right? It's a company who loves what he loves. Well, you're not going to understand that. Because our culture says everything you love, he loves. This is wildly inaccurate, by the way. Who love what he loves. It starts with him. It doesn't start with us. We love what he loves. There's not a demand that he always love what we love. Because some of the things he loves is what he's trying to transform in us. Some of the things we think we love are in opposition to things that he loves. And it's why we're the one that needs to be changed. And it starts with him. And that means I'm going to come to him. And I'm going to ask him for grace to transform my desires to where he gives me a willingness and empowers me consistently to live what the Bible says. And my life comes uniquely under the harness of the word. And that's why in Paul's suggestion to Timothy, there is a scriptural evaluation over people's lives that starts with the hub of what's actually happening at home rather than what's happening in meetings because you don't always best demonstrate that the word has transformed your life by the way you know how to perform in a meeting. But you cannot perform well at home without the word actually transforming you. And that's why we have to start at home. And that's Paul's jealousy. This thing is about real life. And it's about in real life being a part of a family. And in the midst of a family, actually consistently giving ourselves to the Lord.
and then defining spiritual maturity by how we are growing up into the image of Jesus by way of an evaluation over our lives to see if the word has taken root and actually grown up in us to where we've been tested in real life and have actually lived the word time and time and time again and therefore been molded through life circumstance to actually look like him. That's what it actually means. And that's where influence begins. Because until you've been tested, you should not be given influence because we don't know yet if you can be trusted. Trusted how? Trusted to cultivate a desire to live the value system of the Bible no matter what happens to you. And then to lead other people along that pathway no matter what's happening to them. I don't want somebody who's going to celebrate my compromise. Because it makes sense. And it gives me a bunch of unique benefits. I need someone in my life that's actually going to help me obey God more. I don't care what benefits there are to you. The leadership of Jesus... The plumb line of the scriptures, constantly having my life conformed to what it is that the Bible is teaching, is the only way to move forward growing up into the image or being conformed to the image of Jesus. And I don't need people that are going to celebrate me while I'm doing my own thing. You're not actually helping me if you're not helping me obey him. That's how you help me. You help me by getting into my life and at times getting into my face and reminding me that what I'm doing or the direction that I'm driving or the dreams that I'm initiating are not actually in alignment with what the scripture is teaching and then the unique application of the voice of the spirit in my life. And that's why it has to be tested. Because until it's tested, we don't know yet if you can be trusted with actual influence. Because actual kingdom influence should be helping to bring our lives more subject to the leadership of Jesus, should be helping to bring our lives in a greater place of being reoriented to the value system that the scriptures teach, should be helping to bring our lives into a deeper anchoring into God's house and his purposes that he is building as our lives are uniquely knit together. This is what kingdom influence is established for according to what the Bible teaches at least. It's not something that we suggest of ourselves and then lord over other people so that we can influence them from a, from a perspective or from a platform or a vantage point of what we're able to prop up as an image. Which means that just the sheer nature of what we are all laying our lives down to see the Lord build. The sheer nature of it should be creating a jealousy to have healthy hearts and homes. Man, we want to see God possess our houses. We want to see a revival wind blow through our homes. We want to see the Lord raise up a people that are actually living the scriptural prescription at home first. 
and are actually growing up into the image of Jesus by way of yielding their hearts and lives in the most intimate and vulnerable space and place, which is home. We want to see the Lord do something incredible and unique in each one of our homes, especially if this is the place where Paul says kingdom influence should begin. Which also means that the nature of what we're building is going to make it difficult to just create an appreciation for what someone is able to do in a moment, in a meeting, without the consideration of how that might be connected to a real substance of what's happening at home. (laughs) Which means it's going to be difficult to just pop into a meeting and to know how to flow and go if that's the primary place that we're trying to develop an understanding of who it is that we are in the midst of a people. Where I shield my real life and then choose to flow and go in different spaces, places, meetings, moments, because that's what I want to be understood about me. Paul says those things are amazing, but how we best understand what you actually are is by evaluating where that's demonstrated best, and it has to begin with the hub of the house. Because if a man can't manage his own house well, then what makes you think he's actually going to be able to govern the house of the Lord? And Paul begins to pick apart different things that unless they're real in real life, they're not actually real. And the only way that they become real is by us actually yielding our lives to what the Bible says and then choosing to have the crucible of a scriptural life in real time form us into what actually looks like Jesus. That's how we get there. And what that means is that there has to be a certain point where we evaluate our life and we ask ourselves, Am I doing what the Bible suggests I should be doing in life in these different areas? And if not, man, then there's grace. There's not grace just to continue to do what you want to do. There's grace for the harness of the word to come on your life so that we can in a greater way, more consistent way, become subject to his leadership by living what he says in this word. And that's where it becomes difficult because there's a lot of times where I'd rather do something else than what the Bible suggests. But if we want him to have the people that he desires, it is going to be impossible to have a Jesus people, which is what we're praying for, a people conformed to his image, a people that love him above all things, a people that have been prepared to be comparable to him. A suitable helper, which is what creation is groaning for. The revealing of the sons and daughters of God. It is going to be impossible if we choose to continue to live in authentic lives. And if we choose to continue to do our own thing and to justify living life our own way regardless of the variety of opinions and things we call wisdom living life our own way and not bringing our life in every possible way subject to what the scriptures are saying. It will not be possible for him to have the people 
that he wants. Because again, saying that we want God to have a people has to mean more than just a people that get excited in moments and meetings. It has to be a people that have been formed. A people that have been formed. A people that have actually been fashioned. That have been made ready. A people that are comparable to him. How? Through the things that we've suggested, and then yes, I get it, possibly a million other things that you could suggest. But I know absolutely the things that we have suggested. And man, may the Spirit do something in us to free us to live authentic lives. Man, this isn't one of them things like turn to your neighbor and say he's talking to you. This isn't one of those touch three people like he's talking to you, he's talking to you, he's talking to you, but he ain't talking to me, bro. There are places in each one of our own hearts and lives where we are living inauthentically. And it's because we've chosen to allow the conversation of what has happened to form us in a greater way than the conversation of what God has done to form us. That's all of us. And then as we consider being more subject to the scriptures and the leadership of Jesus, and then that being tested over periods of time, where we're able to evaluate what our life has actually produced over time, and if it's brought us to a point or a juncture where the consideration of us actually bearing real spirit, stature, or influence through, again, the examination of have we consistently lived the Bible in a way that has formed us to look like him and actually live our life like him in real life by the Spirit's empowerment, that being the place of initial kingdom influence for consideration. Because then, as Paul suggests, we can be trusted. Trusted to lead others the way that God desires. Trusted to bring others to the consideration and the confrontation of what it is that God is actually after, and not just as Kingdom leaders signing off on what everybody wants to do so that we can develop our own influence. And the reason that I share the things that I share is because I believe that there's about to be a holy wind that blows through the house. And when I say a holy wind, what I'm saying is I believe the Lord is in the midst of us, yes. But I believe that we are on the verge of a unique visitation. I don't share those things casually because I understand the consequences. There's a, there's a unique visitation I believe the Lord desires. And not just super selfish and self-consumed as if it's going to be us. I'm talking about over our city. Where we're going to witness something and participate in something on a city-wide level. But the Lord is going to release a holy wind in our house. Because these things must precede 
what it is that God desires to do. Where he lays down a plumb line of his own standards and begins to actually deal with us where we actually are and how we are actually living in order to raise the standard for the jealousy of holiness, where we say we love Jesus and we begin to live like it. And we begin by the Spirit's empowerment and grace and the crucible of real life to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And when that plumb line gets laid down in the midst of us, there's a holy confrontation because there's a holy confrontation with God himself and his desires because we don't feel confronted until we realize that there is an absolute, that there is a standard, that there's an intersection that creates a conflict with what it is that I've said I wanted or how I've chosen to do it. And when we consider a holy wind, we have to equally consider an exposure of what we would call the secrets of men's hearts. But where all of the secrets get out in the open, Man, and God lets loose a wind in the house that begins to blow over all of the compromise, that begins to blow over all of the lack of conviction, that begins to blow over all of the justification of worldliness and other desires, where the Lord releases a wind in the midst of us that actually unveils in a greater way how holy he actually is. And where we get confronted with the holiness of God and choose humility over a prideful arrogance that we can continue on in our own means and demand that he bless us because we have the right language and or image. But I believe that the Lord is going to let loose a wind in the house. And that we are on the verge of greater days of freedom. We are on the verge of greater days of of holiness, and I don't say holiness out of religiosity, right? We understand the terms. When you're in love, you'll do just about anything, regardless of how crazy it looks. I'm talking about holiness out of the sense of living with a divine possession, belonging to another, catering to the heart and the affection of another, no matter the cost. This is holiness. He loves me and I love him, and I'm willing to do anything to show it. He loves me and I love him and I've preserved myself for him. I've kept myself for him. This is real holiness. It's having a joy hit the place of our affection and satisfactions so electrifying that it undoes the appetite for every other lesser thing. Man, you don't understand. I've seen him and he's touched me and I'm his forever. This is holiness. And I believe that the standard Right? The, the repercussion of holiness will be a consistent living of the scriptures. That will be the repercussion of holiness. A consistent living of the scriptures. We're not abiding by the terms out of duty, but delight has hit me so deeply in my soul that it has freed me from striving. I just belong to him. And now his power at work within me gives me what I need to gracefully live out the embodiment of what this word says. And I would ask us in the place of prayer individually and corporately in whatever way we may feel appropriate to begin to ready our hearts. To begin to ready our hearts for the Lord to visit us in a unique way.
where we allow this Maranatha cry. Yes, come Lord Jesus at the end of the age, but also come Lord Jesus in unique ways over the timeline of history, which is what we've seen. Don't think that a move of God is just going to be the worship team singing all your favorite songs and you getting to dance every night in some building somewhere and then going home and continuing to live how you want to live. That's not what it actually looks like. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's the utter unveiling and exposing of what's authentic and then the conforming in a place of authenticity into the alignment of desires that God has. And that comes with a cost. And for some of us, a sweeping move of the Spirit would be an inconvenience. For some of us, a sweeping move of the Spirit would trouble us. For Jesus to unveil himself and reveal himself as he is would be problematic for some of the things that we want to be. But I would consider and even ask for us to suggest to begin to ready our hearts for a visitation from the Lord. Not in some fearful way, but it is the great and terrible day of the Lord. <laughs> Not in some fearful way, but for the fear of the Lord to grip us again. For the fear of the Lord to grip us again. Where the consideration of living casual and in compromise would be offloaded for the consideration of being able to teeter the line, for the consideration of justifying certain things because I just haven't gotten in trouble for it yet, the consideration of wanting to have exemptions in certain places because at least up until now there hasn't been a consequence for it and it must mean that God enjoys it or delights in it. The absence of consequences is not also the presence of delight. And we must be careful to not be discerning. But I'm praying for a wind to blow through and for the fear of the Lord to really hit our hearts again. Where we would understand, man, that there's a holy king that desires to abide in the midst of us and we want him to do that and to have his way. And that he would lay down his plumb line and that he would get what he wants in the midst of a people. That he would form us for himself. So let's, let's stand together. just a moment, I'm going to pray for us.
I'm asking you to touch every heart in the room. We want to be yours. But we also want that to happen your way. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to sweep over every heart and the story of each one of our lives. And in the only way that it would be real, which would be for you to do it, would you touch each one of our hearts Lord for some it's the conversation that has formed our life and in different ways how we are relating to others and even coming into agreement with an understanding of who we are out of things that have been, things that were, things that happened. And I'm asking you in this moment, would you give grace to finally put down some of the things that we've been carrying, where we've chosen to allow these things to define us. And I'm praying that you would raise up a people out of this room that would live in response to the power and the source of life that you have planted deep on the inside of each one of them. And where the bubbling up and the constant flow of that life would correct our course every time we are choosing or catering to another voice, another influence, another way. Where the expression or the demonstration of who we are is not authentic because it's not being sourced or empowered by divine life. Where we would be able to freely and consistently give the authentic version of ourselves to others. Where people would finally be able to get to know the real me. <laughs> and where I would let that happen. And Lord, I'm praying, would you put a hunger for the word in each one of our hearts? Would you put a hunger for the word where we would become students and stewards 
not of our own opinions, but of your desires. And where we would allow what you love and what you hate to break us down in every possible way and place. And where you would conform each one of our lives to your image by us in a greater way, having to consistently search you out to know you in the word and then the application of that word in real times being tested in our own lives and creating crucibles where we choose you time and time and time again in the midst of a variety of other value systems and opportunities that at times would preach to us that it would be more beneficial to live another way. Lord, help us Put the harness of your desires through the desire of your word on each one of us. Where we would come to the word to know you and to find you. And then we would find your harness and your leadership. And by your grace to live the Bible over and over and over again. To become a sign and a wonder as you conform us to your image. Lord, this is what we're after. A people that would love you by living the word. And that you would raise up influential people from the midst of us. Not by how they're able to perform in a moment in a meeting, but by the actual evaluation of maturity through the crucible of testing in their own life as they have come up under the harness of your word and desires. As we close, let's just take a moment or two. Salam plays. Let's just ask the Lord to visit us in a unique way. And now this is going to have to come from our own heart. Because if we desire this, um, it has to come from a real place on the inside of us. Um, so for the next couple of moments as we, as we just close out. Um, let's ask the Lord to visit us in a unique way and for his wind to begin to blow in each one of our hearts and each one of our homes and that we would choose to begin readying a place for him. Yeah, Lord, put a desire on the inside. I pray even as we began, like John Wesley, would you warm each one of our hearts towards you? And may we be faithful by being attentive and intentional to the warming of our hearts and a desire for you to visit us in a unique way. And Lord, we cry out 
this afternoon, this early evening. Visit us, King Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Be revealed in the midst of us by the power of your spirit. Lord, we want you. Move in our midst. Blow through our homes in this house. Blow through our homes and this house. Blow through our homes and this house. Let it be holy. Let it be jealous. Let it be on fire. Blow through our homes. Yeah, let's just take the next couple of moments and lift our voices and just ask the Lord to visit us.